Okay, church, why don't we uh, gather in? If you can find uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Why don't we stand and read together? This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so they will be taught not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Father, there's uh, three short verses, but there's a ton in there. I pray, God, that you would, um, as Jeff prayed for me in the opening service, that uh, I would get out of the way and your spirit would speak. I pray for our time together, Lord, that we would be encouraged and strengthened in your word and have, when we leave here, a resolve to follow you even greater. We want to be uh, not coming here just to learn, but to to put our learning into action. So may it uh, move from our heads to our feet and our hands as we learn from you today. We look forward to our time in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. And let's start off the same way we do pretty much every week, and that's by doing a review of our previous sermon so we know where we left off and get the context right. But uh, last week we saw Paul giving an account of his personal testimony. Yeah, we saw last week Paul giving an account of his personal testimony. And we spoke about the fact that his choice to do so at this juncture point in the letter was not by accident, but was very intentional. Because it was a reaction to the presence of false teachers who had taken up residence in the church in Ephesus and were using the law as a means of um, making people right with God and also determining how they were to live out the Christian life. And so Paul gives his testimony of his experience on the road to Damascus as, an, as a defense against the false teacher's message. And he basically said, remember how I was saved and how I lived my life after that? He said, you know, I was one who observed the law perfectly to the point that I was so zealous for the church that I persecuted it. But what good did that do me? Observing the law only made me an enemy of God and not a friend of God. And so the road to Damascus experience was a... Was a And his testimony was a defense for the gospel message. And so it was this message then that in verse 11, Paul rightly said, I was uh, entrusted with it. He says, this is the message I was entrusted with over and opposed to the message that the false teachers had been claiming. So this message then that Paul had been entrusted with and the reason he'd been given spiritual gifts for this ministry and appointed as apostle was obviously to serve the Lord with this truth. But what what Paul wanted to make clear to Timothy was that he wasn't the only one that God had commissioned for ministry. He'd also placed his hand over Timothy's life as well and had entrusted him with the same message. We pick this up in verse 18. Paul says this, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Paul's reference here to the prophecies spoken over Timothy's life was really a way for Paul to confirm that God's hand was over his ministry. 
And for us to understand how that looks, we have to remember the role of prophecy in both the Old Testament and New Testament. You see, whether an individual held the office of prophet or the gift of prophecy, everyone knew that when that person spoke, that message was not, not, did not originate with that, that man or woman in their thoughts. This was a message from God, and the human was just the agent of God's word. Now, God would use human agents in two typical ways to communicate his truth. First, he would use the person to foretell something, meaning he would make predictions about what was going to happen in the future. For example, Acts 11, Agabus stands up in the church and says, by the way, there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. And so what do the apostles do? They, uh, and the disciples there, they, they, the elders, they gather money together to bring a contribution later on. But he also did it to foretell something. Foretell. Speak directly to a specific situation that was occurring in the present reality. And he wanted individuals to know how to take immediate steps for something they're facing at that time. We see this in Acts 13 when Paul and Barnabas were set apart for service for missionary work together. It was through a prophetic word this came. But again, the key here is that when everyone spoke um, as a prophet or with the gift of prophecy, everyone knew the message did not originate with man, but came from God. You see why this is important for Timothy's situation now. You see, Paul had placed him in Ephesus with a really difficult task. He was to put a stop to these false teachers who had gained a foothold in the church. And to get the church back on track. This would have been a massive undertaking. And the potential for dis discouragement in that kind of atmosphere would be very high. To be honest with you, if God told me that was my job, I don't know if I'd want to go. <laughs> That'd be a pretty crazy undertaking to, to do this. So even though Paul you know, saw him as a son, as it says in verse 18, he saw him as a, like a spiritual son and loved him, and had been very influential in developing him as a leader, he wanted to remind him that ultimately God had placed his hand on his life for ministry and not Paul. Ultimately, it was God who had picked this guy to serve him. Now, while we don't know the specific prophecies Timothy was given, we get a clue in two other places in the New Testament. And in chapter 4, verses 14 of 1 Timothy, you can find this. I'm going to read from the NIV version because it's a little bit easier to understand. I have the NASB. This is what he says, um, he says here. Um, actually, did I even put it down? There it is. Yeah, he says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So what's interesting here is clearly there was a prophetic message given about Timothy going into leadership and potentially even here a, a, a prophecy of the spiritual giftings God was going to give him. And when the elders laid their hands on him, at that moment he received the spiritual gift. Now what were the spiritual gifts we got? It doesn't tell us, but we have two strong suggestions from the letter. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I instruct you to teach, to, uh, to stop certain men from teaching strange doctrines. Later on in the letter, he says, I want you to teach the word of God. So probably his gifting was teaching. Another potential, though, is found in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. He says there to Timothy, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So he could have had the gift of evangelism. But whether it's teaching or evangelism, we know that God had imparted a gift to him. Now this was meant as a word of encouragement to Timothy. 
because of this difficult task ahead, just for him to remember that even long before he was even stationed in Ephesus to put a stop to this stuff, God had appointed him and empowered him, just like he had for Paul, for service. Really what Paul was asking Timothy to do was to look back and, and look back in order to move forward. You know, what's interesting, I was thinking about the, how this applied to our lives. And uh, I was reminded of just a couple years ago being at a conference. And uh, a lot of us in the Free Methodist Church, we were gathered at a Western conference. I think we were in like a Regina or it might have been even like at the Brad Creek Entheos uh, uh, Center. Can't remember which one, but we were put into different groups of tables. And uh, the leader of the, the meeting said, I just want you guys to spend some time talking amongst each other about how you all got involved in ministry. Like, how did you guys all end up in like, leading churches? And what was interesting, two themes emerged that day. Two themes. One was the role of mom, the role of the mother in terms of the spiritual development in, in these people's lives. All the men sitting on the table and they said, you know, like, yeah, my mom was influential, influential in my spiritual development. The second one was a prophetic word. A, a huge portion of us had prophecy spoken over our lives as young people. And it was crazy. Um, I'll tell you about mine. I was one of them. I was 15 years old and I left the Northwest Territories to go to Edmonton. On a, I jumped on a plane to go to a hockey school. My intention for going to this hockey school in Edmonton was to be scouted so I could play a high-level hockey in, the, in, the, in like Sherwood Park or St. Albert or someplace like that and get my name known and, and sort of pursue my dream for the NHL. So I go to this hockey camp. I don't know how I didn't know this <laughs> or if my parents told me and I didn't listen or they, I just blocked it out or they didn't tell me, but I ended up at a Christian hockey camp <laughs> somehow. I missed that the entire week. But anyway, I was at this hockey camp, and uh, the, the whole week ends, and they call us to chapel on Sunday, Sunday at the end of the camp. So we all go into this uh, church auditorium, and I don't know how many kids, there must have been a, probably about uh, 75, 75 of us or so at this hockey camp, and different ages, and the, the, the person who gave the message says, would any of the children or young people like to come up and speak, give their testimony? And a, a handful of boys came up and gave their testimony. I didn't have a testimony at that time, but I felt compelled just to go get up there and start speaking a story that I knew about an Eskimo man who had given his life to the Lord through a, through a miracle that happened up in the Northwest Territories because my parents were missionaries up there. So I shared this story that I heard my dad and mom speak about, about this Eskimo person that was basically drowning in ice, cried out to God and, and was able to get out. And if you live up north, you know that that's an impossibility. <laughs> Once the water in the Arctic Circle gets you, you've got like two minutes to live. So anyhow, he, this man dedicated his life to the ministry after that experience. I shared that story and that's all I did. And I sat down. The coach of, the, of our camp came up to me after service and says, my wife would like to speak to you. And I said, great. And I was thinking, okay, Probably in my mindset, it's like, where am I going to play hockey next? <laughs> it was a good camp for me. Anyway, and she says, I have a message from the Lord for you. And I'm like, oh boy. Like, I didn't care about God at that time anyway. 
and she's like, he, she, he, he wants to tell you that you are going to be a strong leader in his church one day. And um, I didn't know what to make of it. I kept it private to myself like my whole life. And I never knew what to do with it because in my early 20s, when I looked at my life and even my mid-20s and I saw how things are going, I was like, I think about this prophecy and I'm like, there's no way this is ever going to work out. I don't even care about Jesus Christ. How am I ever going to be a leader in his church? Well, here I am today sitting here. It's interesting because in this ministry here, it, compared to Timothy, I have it good. To lead this church is, is a good, lovely opportunity, and I appreciate my ability to teach with you and to learn with you and to cry with you and to, and to struggle with you. I, I have a really fantastic um, ministry, and I really appreciate it. At the same time, there are times of discouragement, and I do have great people to speak to. I, lots of you I, I can share my life with and I have accountability with. And so you are in a great encouragement to me. But you know what? When push comes to shove, and I, and I feel like sometimes I can't even talk to anybody about anything I'm dealing with, I think back to that day at hockey school. I think about that prophetic message, and it gives me the strength to persevere and to keep moving on and fighting for Genesis House and God's gospel. So again, ministry is incredibly rewarding, but it can be discouraging. And we can often think, is it worth it? Is this worth it, God? Some of the greats thought that way. You know Jeremiah? He's got a book this thick written about, about him and Israel. Do you know what he said in 1510? I wish I had never been born. I have become a source of conflict and dissension in my own country. Even though I haven't lent or borrowed, still everyone curses me. Jeremiah the prophet, I wish I was not born. I can't do this any longer in the nation of Israel. Elijah, Elijah, probably no one, Elisha and Elijah had probably the most miracles under their belt and of great through the Lord and had a tremendous ministry. He wrote, he, he said this to God after fleeing from Jezebel. He lied, he, Elijah went down and laid under a tree and prayed that he might die. <laughs> he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors, my forefathers. Again, Timothy's in for a, a tough haul here. And Paul says, I was entrusted to the gospel. I was given spiritual gifts to do this ministry. I'm giving... God has commissioned you, uh, Timothy, with the same message and given you giftings like he has me to do this. Look back on God's hand in your life in order to persevere. You're in the right place and you're doing the right thing. I know a lot of you aren't in church formal, formal church leadership, but I think the principle can be applied to your life too in times of discouragement. I know the Lord has touched your lives in the past in deep deep ways and you look back and you can see his hand all over your life I'd encourage you to take a, a, a lesson from this in terms of your own life and to see how the Lord has worked in your life in the past if you're going through times of discouragement now it's a great way of persevering now it's important for Timothy to remember 
uh, God's hand in his life based on the nature of the fight he was in. You notice that in uh, verse 18 he says, he says, by, um, I'll read it again. He says, This command I trust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, by these prophecies, you fight the good fight. Now this word fight, this word fight in Greek is a military metaphor. A military metaphor. It's, a, it's the word stratia, which is where we get the word strategy from. So it's, real, it's true definition. It's a military expedition or a campaign. So it's not a squirmish in the playground. It's like a campaign. It's a, it's a long, out, drawn out battle where there's lots of thought and lots of energy put towards this thing. Because of this, this is why the ESV translates this verse, wage the good warfare, because literally it was warfare. Now what's interesting is in other places in the New Testament where Paul uses military metaphors, it's not in reference to earthly opposition. It's in reference to spiritual opposition, a fight against the demonic realm. This is so important because even though Paul recognized that Timothy was ultimately put, trying to put a stop to false teachers, so when he'd go to church and was, had a, a, he'd get up and have his breakfast and go to work, he would encounter human beings. It was the, a relationship between a human being that he was actually dealing with. But what's interesting is Paul, said, Paul recognized that actually is behind every human being was a demonic, demonic influence, like this demonic strategy. And we see this actually in Timothy's letter. You know what's interesting? Look at verse 3 again in chapter 1. He says, I urge you that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Well, when you go over to chapter 4, verse 1, listen to this. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So here, Paul combines the nature of spiritual warfare and yet the human warfare he's seeing here as well. So again, this is, this is significant because he recognizes that the spirit, this is a spiritual battle that, 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 that for the fight of the gospel that Timothy's probably is primarily involved in. And what's, here's a really important verse, church. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that so you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, even though Timothy's talking to human beings, <laughs> uh, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Do you know why this passage is really important? We, we forget this sometimes. First Timothy is, where is Timothy stationed? In Ephesus, amongst the Ephesian people. This letter is written to who? The exact same people, the Ephesians. The Ephesian letter was written before the first letter of Timothy. So, so Paul writes this to the Ephesians. I'm, I'm pre-warning you that the fight you're in in Ephesus is a spiritual one primarily. So here's the way to counteract this. You know what's tragic? We know by the letter of 1 Timothy, they failed to heed his instruction. Because false teachers are in the church and they've taken hold of it. And now Timothy has to come in and try to put this right. 
So Paul laid out a battle plan for him to fight. We had looked at one of them already. First step in the fighting the good fight, he was to remember of the prophecies concerning him, which is a way of saying, God has placed your hand in, in your, over your life for ministry. Don't forget that. You're God's man first, not mine, not Paul's. Okay? Remember that to fight and persevere. The second one, though, was to keep faith and good conscience. We pick this up in verse 19. He says, he says, By them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among those are Hymenaeus and Alexander. We saw these qualities a, a few weeks ago in chapters 1, verse 5. There he says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. So if you want to hear in detail what those things are, you can listen to that, that sermon. But just as a reminder, faith really, to keep the faith is really uh, uh, one's allegiance to Christ. Not just in the doctrines of the Christian faith, but in how to live out the Christian faith. Again, the, the, the false teachers had a foothold on morality and how that was to be lived out. And Paul spoke against that uh, adamantly. So faith, again, had to do with doctrine and belief, but also how to live out those beliefs. Good conscience, really, was one that was guilt-free. Now remember how the conscience works. It's really a self-judging faculty. It's an internal security system that goes off and produces guilt when you sin against God. And on the other hand, it pats you in the back when you've walked in obedience. So for Timothy to have faith and a good conscience meant that he was to continue, continue on teaching and preaching the Word of God and how, teaching them how to live out that life in obedience to Christ, and then to always obey the Lord in these things, because then his conscience would never condemn him. And in that way, he would fight the good fight, because he remained faithful in all these things. But notice who the onus is on to, to do these things. Timothy was the one to keep faith and good conscience, not God. He, the instruction was to Timothy to do these things. So this is important because even though Paul understood that God had clearly set Timothy apart for ministry and had gifted him for ministry and saw the benefit of Timothy for the ministry and to his kingdom, Timothy was not to take these things for granted and then take a lazy, fair attitude that he could slough off and be lazy. There was a role he had to play in fighting spiritual warfare and in the battle for the gospel. He was to keep faith and a good conscience. Keep teaching, keep preaching, and keep obeying the Lord in these things. Now why did it matter so much? Well, because two men who failed to maintain their faith and good conscience got in a boatload of trouble, no pun intended. But look at these guys in 19. Some have rejected and suffered these things and have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. The very things Timothy was told to keep, to fight, were the two things of Hymenaeus and Alexander shipwrecked. They rejected them. The result then was these men who at one time, who shared the same faith as Timothy, shipwrecked their faith. They, they, they brought it to ruin. I mean, it's a vivid picture, right? If you see a ship running onto rocks, I mean, it just gets utterly destroyed. The boat is unusable. It's, it's yeah, it can't be sailed again unless massive repairs are done. And even then, sometimes things are unrepairable. But I think it's important to notice that 
Paul describes them as not having the faith, shipwrecking the faith, but their faith. It's faith that they owned. It's, it, it's personal. It belongs to them. One commentary nailed it. He says, no one can make shipwreck of their faith if they never had it in the first place. You see now the urgency from Paul to Timothy. The key to keep fighting spiritual warfare and, and to gaining victory was to hold fast to the word of God and his teaching and preaching and live in obedience to Christ. And that's an important lesson to us, church. You want to fight the good fight? You want to fight against the schemes of the devil? What you do is you maintain the doctrines of the Christian faith. You teach, you preach them, no matter how uh, ridiculous at times it may sound or feel when you're, when you're speaking, compared to other people's opinions and thoughts out there. And you walk in obedience to the Lord. I was reminded uh, two weeks ago of... I was at a funeral. Callie was there. Stuart was there. And my wife was there. We were at a funeral. And uh, this woman uh, was a uh, self-proclaimed witch. And um, they talked about how... She was also a, a full-time counselor. Counseled in Okotoks and Calgary. And, and uh, she... Uh, they told a story about, this woman told a story about how she, every time she'd go into a room before her sessions and stuff, she would burn sage. She'd burn sage as a way of trying to purify the room. So she thought she could defeat the enemy through a ritual. <laughs> Little did she know she was on the enemy's side. But she thought, the way I defeat the enemy in the spiritual battle out there is I do a ritual. I burn this sage and it clears out the room of spirits. And what is Paul's message? You defeat the enemy and you fight the good fight by holding to the core doctrines and beliefs of Jesus Christ and living in obedience to Him. You do that and you win. Because you don't end up like Ephesians chapter 6. That's the key for Genesis House for us to remain strong and to put Satan back in his box. May seem boring. Lackluster sometimes, right? Because obedience is like sometimes very difficult and it seems mundane day in, day out. But that's the way we persevere and win the spiritual battle. That's what Timothy was to do. Listen to his charge in chapter 4 and I'll move on. Verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, Faith and purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in all these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. That's the charge. That's how you fight the good fight. That's how we fight the good fight. But there's one more thing to do spiritual battle. And this was a charge to Timothy from Paul. And that was to maintain purity in the church. To remove sin. Pick this up in verse 20. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I've handed over to Satan... So they will be taught not to blaspheme. 
What does Paul mean by handed over to Satan? Many of you know Dan Jansen, the fellow that mentored me for ministry, and we, we are obviously a, church, a sister church plant from them. Dan told me a story of him being at seminary in his early 20s, and um, they were in their dorm room, and uh, there was about three or four guys in their room, and one guy had sort of talked about some of the behavior he was up to lately, and um, it wasn't maybe the best of choices. And one of the other guys was sort of getting on his case about it, and the guy was sort of justifying his behavior. And out of frustration, the guy that was trying to get him to like see the error of his way says, that's it, I'm done with you, I'm handing you over to Satan. <laughs> and Dan was like, whoa, did I just hear that? And he's like, trying to put out, Dan's a peacemaker, so he's trying to put out the fire and bring everybody back to Norm in his room. I mean, it sounds funny, but is that what Paul means? Like, if you're, going, if you're going sideways, do I say, that's it, like Bethany or Pat or Rob, I'm handing you over to Satan. Like, anyway, just so you know, that's the wrong application of that verse. <clears throat> Let me see if I can explain what this is going on here. Scripture reveals that there are two kingdoms at work that, that are simultaneous, simultaneously coexist. There's God's kingdom, which is pictured as the church, where he rules and has dominion. And there's Satan's kingdom, which is outside the church, which is in the world, where he has dominion and rule. In 1 John 5.19, it actually says there, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, but we, the believers, are of God. So the whole world is in the power of the evil one, but we are of God. Two distinct kingdoms, two different rulers. So within the household of God, then, there are certain blessings and privileges that come from being part of the community. We experience them here at Genesis House, the relationships uh, and the love that occurs and, and the care and the, and the opportunity to worship the Lord in ways that the world can't experience. So to hand someone over to Satan, then, is another of, way of saying that a person is, is removed from the privileges and blessings and protection of the church community and is basically excommunicated from there and sent out into the world where Satan has dominion and rule. And I, want, I don't want you to miss the purpose for why this is to be done. Yes, first of all, it is to remove sin from the camp. Later on, in, in, um, actually in 1 Corinthians 5, where this exact thing occurs, it talks about removing leaven from the church. That's the big reason for it. But there's one other reason here too. One, it's not just for punishment's sake, but it's for educational reasons. It's to act as a corrective to behavior. You notice what he says here? I handed him over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. There's a teaching component to doing this. So what's a teaching component? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 5, because here in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, we have the exact same phrase, handed over to Satan, used by Paul. Now, in this context, um, as crazy as it sounds, a mother and his son are sleeping together. Just, that's what's going on. And the church has done nothing about it. Nothing about it. And so Paul says this to them. When you're assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. See the corrective? Getting thrown out of the church is actually to produce a remorse and a repentance that will want them to come back into the church fold where God's forgiveness will be given to them. The purpose is 
is, uh, is their salvation. The purpose is, is redemptive. It's not, just, um, it's not just to get rid of sin, which is one of the major reasons initially. Again, this is really important. We see the corrective nature in verse 20. They will be taught not to blaspheme. Hopefully, living in the world, they'll miss the church community, miss what it is to be part of God's people and the blessings that come from there, and repent and turn back to the Lord. So again, the purpose of this whole section in conclusion really is to provide a charge to Timothy. It's to give him a charge, to encourage him, to say, come on, Timothy, fight the good fight, and let me give you some instruction on how to do this. Look back in order to go forward. Keep good faith, good conscience, and continue to do what I started by removing these false teachers from the church and keeping the church pure. That's the charge of us at Genesis House 2. That's the way we've been trying to function for seven years, and God willing, it's the way we'll continue to function until we enter in glory. So what can we learn from this? Got five lessons, but we'll move through them quickly. One, because ministry can often be difficult and at times discouraging, words of encouragement from fellow believers can help us persevere. When Elijah was struggling, the Lord appeared to him personally and said, you know, oh, actually, he gave him a raven and brought him food and different things like that. He gave him a word of encouragement. But in terms of believers, we have here Paul. He uh, is saying to him, he's giving him words of encouragement and saying, and part of that was to look back on the work that God done in his life. But again, all of us can relate to this. You don't have to be in leadership to just experience discouragement and need words of encouragement. I know if I were to ask you at different times in your life, if people have spoken into your life and brought you encouragement and helped you persevere, you could tell me stories. I know you could. And hopefully I've been one of them for you in times of discouragement or someone else in leadership here. Second, the battle for the gospel is ultimately a spiritual one. Yeah, you're going to fight. When you talk to people, it's, it's, it's a human relationship you're dealing with. But ultimately, according to, to Ephesians 6 and chapter 4, the doctrines of demons, we're ultimately up against the devil and his schemes. And he uses people to get his work done. So ultimately, it's a spiritual battle. Third lesson. It is possible for people of genuine faith to become blasphemers of the gospel. It's possible. It says it right here. They've shipwrecked their faith. Not the faith, their faith. It's possible. Finally, to hand someone over to Satan is to remove them from their fellowship within the church community and place them back into fellowship with the world. That's what, to, that's what it means to hand over Satan. It's not to stand in someone's dorm room and tell them that uh, because they won't uh, see it your way with how they're living their life that they're going to be in Satan's camp now. That's the wrong application. It's to excommunicate someone from a, the fellowship of the church to put them back into the world. The purpose of excommunication is twofold. It's not simply to purge a church of sin, but hopefully produce repentance in that person. 
It's restorative in nature. That's the, that's the hopeful end goal. Is it a guarantee? No. But it's the hope. It's the goal. I'll be interested in your comments and thoughts, and uh, let's have a time of discussion.